thank you, uh, worship team. I love that, just that imagery of turn your eyes to Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. All right, if you have children, they're leaving us real quickly. If you have children, they're going to children's church and they haven't dismissed. They're going out the back uh, with Miss Melody. If you have children, they're staying with us. There are activities on the back table that they can grab and uh, use uh, throughout the sermon. There's also um, a kid's sermon notes on there that they can use during the sermon. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6 if you want to head that direction. Uh, and today we are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, as we've said over and over, is the first recorded teaching of Jesus in the Gospels and perhaps his most famous teaching. This sermon comes early on in Jesus' ministry as he was beginning to gather a following from not just his 12 disciples, but it's estimated that somewhere between one and 200 people were there and present for this message. And so Jesus, as he preaches, is sitting on a hillside above the Sea of Galilee with a couple of hundred uh, interested followers listening. And that's significant to note because as we read and study this sermon, we remember that the audience for this message is us. It is us, his followers. He is giving instruction to those of us that claim to be Christians on how to live, how to follow him, how to interact with the world around us, and how we interact with God. And so this sermon is not a get-your-act-together sermon for the world, but it's really a get-your-act-together sermon for us, his followers. And today, as I said, we're transitioning to chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're also transitioning subjects in Jesus' teaching. The sermon began in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes in which uh, Jesus told us who was blessed. And he said, blessed are those who recognize their sin and grieve over their sin because it, it points them to him and they, they will choose to follow him. And he's the one that can give eternal life. After that, Jesus taught us how to interact with the world. And he told us that our call as Christians is to shine his light, shine his hope to the world around us. Our call as Christians is to love people and show them the love of Jesus so that they too might experience his grace and forgiveness. After that, Jesus shared how he came to fulfill the law, fulfill the Old Testament. And in that, for the last few weeks, he gave us six examples of how we are called to more than just religious action, but we are called to heart change. We are called to love, care for, speak truth, and live in purity like God. We are called to become more like God, not just put on the facade of looking more like God. That section of the sermon concluded last week as God called us as Christians to love even our enemies. And in that sermon, Jesus not only commands us to love our enemies, but he shows us how and why we are called to love our enemies. So if you missed any of those messages and you'd like to catch up, they are on YouTube or Apple Podcasts by searching Living Hope Green River. But today, Jesus is going to just shift gears, and he's not only going to challenge the way we live, but he's going to challenge the reason, the why of why we worship. He's going to ask the question, what is my motive for worshiping and following God? And in this sermon, he's going to use three examples that were central to the Jewish faith. He's going to ask, what's my motive for giving? What's my motive for praying? And what is my motive for fasting? Is my motive the applause of man, the praise of those around me? Or is it to bring honor and glory to God? And then we can expand that because we remember that each, in each of these settings, Jesus is setting a precedent by which we understand all of our lives. So we can expand that to what is my motive for coming to church on Sunday, for serving at church, for leading a Bible study, for helping out my neighbor, for giving to the poor, for serving in the community, and so on. Is my motive praise, celebration, and recognition for me? Or is it to honor God, bring glory to him, and serve him? Today we're going to read those three examples, and uh, they're found in Matthew 6, 1 through 8, and then verses 16 through 18. And then next week, we will jump back and cover verses 9 through 15, where Jesus gives us the model prayer. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read 1 through 8, and then we're going to read verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. 
If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, verse 16. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you just once again for the the privilege it is to gather together and it is to read and to study your word. And God, I just pray that as we study this section of scripture, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would reveal to us uh, those areas where where maybe we are living for the applause of man instead of just serving you. And God, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they might know and experience your forgiveness and grace today. So God, I pray that you would just uh, you, you would just speak uh, through me, and you would speak through your word uh, to our hearts today. God, we love you and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to start in verse one. Let me read it just real quickly. Jesus says, "Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven." So, in this last section of scripture that we've been studying, Jesus taught us how to live, and he taught us how to love. And it would be really easy to read that and think to yourself, wow, man, if I can just live like Jesus said, or if I can just give the appearance of living like Jesus said to live, then people are going to be pretty impressed with me. People are going to recognize me. They're going to celebrate me. They're going to want to be around me. They're going to want to be like me if I, can just, if I can just project that appearance of righteousness. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had done. And that's what we are often tempted to do. In our human nature, we are so prone to self-focus that we can turn anything to all about me. And Jesus here is saying God is not only concerned with our action, with how we live, but he's also concerned with our motivation. Uh, If your motivation is the praise of man, he says you have missed it, and you have missed what God desires for you. God cares about our good works, but also our motivation. So that's our first point. What is my motivation for doing good works? To follow and honor God? or so that I might be honored and celebrated. And we might think to ourselves, does it really matter what my motivation is as long as I'm doing good? I think that's a fair question. But Jesus here is quite clear that yes, our motivation matters. This opening statement that we have that reads, uh, be careful, uh, is closer to the word beware in Greek. Jesus says, beware of how you practice your righteousness. This clearly matters to God. So Jesus says, beware that you do not practice your righteousness. Beware that you do not love and care for others just to be seen. And this word seen comes from the Greek word theathenai, which is the same root word for where we get the word theater. Jesus says, beware your heart is pure, that you truly love, and that you are not just putting on a show for others so they might celebrate and praise you. 
The problem with the Pharisees and the warning for us today is that you can go through the motions of worship and still miss it if your worship is just a show. And this is so important because I think we've all been the recipient of this, someone who just put on a show so they could be praised. Uh, In starting this church, we worked with a lot of individuals and a lot of churches from all over the country. They have helped us uh, in different ways. Some have given financially, some have come and served, some have just had conversations with us. And in those conversations, it takes about five minutes to figure out if that church or that individual views us as a project to bring themselves glory, or if that church or individual wants to serve and be a part of what God is doing. It's rather apparent if they came to serve and love the church and the people of Green River, or if they came to do something great so they could go back home and get pats on the back. And that sounds harsh, but that's the reality. And you have likely experienced the same thing. If you've had someone give you a gift or helped you, but there were strings attached or Maybe they helped you, but then they immediately went and told everyone in order to get praise for themselves. Or they just gave that motive that they wanted to be recognized for what they had done. And when that happens, it sits so different from when they genuinely care and give or help you because they love you. Because they care for you. Because they want what is best for you. And so Jesus says our heart and our motivation matters. Are you doing good deeds in order for you to get praise and recognition? Or are you doing good works in order that God gets praised? God is honored. God is celebrated. He is made known. And so Jesus gives us three specific examples to unpack. And these three examples, giving, praying, and fasting, were the central practices of the Jewish faith. And apparently the Pharisees and others had taken these three occasions to bring attention to themselves as opposed to honoring God. And these three examples still apply today, but we'll see this is a precedent. This is not an all-inclusive list. So Jesus begins in verse 2 with the wrong way to give. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, he says, they have received their reward in full. So giving was central to the Jewish faith, and it was assumed that good Jews would be generous with their money. And it was assumed by Jesus that his followers would give as well. This is not primarily a sermon on giving, but this is one of the examples here. But Jesus assumed that his followers would give and give generously as we imitate our Heavenly Father who has generously given to us. And so the expectation of the Jewish father was that they would give systematically, that they would give regularly to the temple. And then beyond that, they would give generously to the less fortunate. And that practice carried over into the New Testament and the New Testament church as an expectation that followers would give regularly to their place of worship, which is assumed to be a tithe or 10%, and then they would give beyond that to those in need. And so Jesus is giving this teaching as an assumption. It's not a teaching on giving, but an assumption that we are giving and how we should give. If you want to hear a more expansive sermon on giving, I'm not going to do that. But you can go back to July 24th. We preached the parables, a gauge of the heart. Uh, It's a parable of the shrewd manager, but that talks about more of the motivation of why we give and why it's important. But for today, we're just working off the assumption that Jesus was, and that was his followers would give. And what Jesus is saying here is that you can give regularly, you can give generously, and you can still miss miss the heart of God if your heart is not right. And so apparently the Pharisees and others, they had made it a practice to give, but while they gave, they drew attention to themselves. They wanted everyone there to know that they had given. They wanted everyone there to know how much they had given and how holy and righteous they were for giving. Now most scholars don't believe they were sounding literal trumpets, But they were so boastful in their giving that they might as well have blown trumpets. As they would drop their money into the temple treasury, treasury, as they would help a widow or a beggar on the street, they would make sure that everyone saw them giving 
and everyone knew how great they were. Jesus here uses this incredibly, incredibly strong word. He says they are hypocrites. A hypocrite was an actor who put on a mask, that put on a show. And he says, you Pharisees, you are hypocrites. They were actors pretending to be righteous when it was really all a show to draw attention to themselves. Jesus says when you give to be honored by other people, that is hypocritical. Jesus says there should be no publicity seeking when you give, no drawing attention to yourselves, no tooting your own horn. What's worse, he says, when you give to be honored by men, you miss out on God's reward, his blessing for your life. Why? Because you already received your reward in full. The phrase in the original language means paid in full, including you got your receipt for the payment. Jesus says, you wanted people to notice you, then you got what you wanted. There's no other reward waiting. Jesus says, here is your receipt. Go on, you've been paid in full. So how does this play out today? Well, nobody is bringing trumpets to celebrate their giving, but we still have ways that we subtly draw attention to ourselves. In the church world, there are some people, maybe not, probably not here, who give, but they give with strings attached. They expect their giving to come with a position of authority, with power, with influence. You don't see this as much anymore, but there was a time when people would give towards special projects, but they would get a plaque that let the whole world know that they bought the curtains, that they bought the chandelier, that they bought the piano, and so on. Or there are people who might give, and then they talk about it all the time. That was what the Pharisees were doing, right? Every Bible study, they have to mention that they give, or they make sure to point it out before the, the pastor or other leaders in order to make sure that it is known that they give. And then we see this outside the church as well. There are people that will post on social media when they help out someone in need, as opposed to doing it in private. Or people that will, go, that will help out on a GoFundMe, but they make, a GoFundMe, but they make sure to write their name extra big and draw attention to themselves and their gifts. There's at least one guy, and I'm sure others, who have whole YouTube or TikTok channels that, that are dedicated to them giving extravagant tips to help others. And on the surface, that sounds like a really cool idea. Then you start to think about it, and they're really making their living off of the lives of the unfortunate. Jesus would say, you've gotten your benefit. You can also do this by giving with strings attached. You give towards an organization with the expectation that they will recognize you, that they will change something, or that they will celebrate you in public. Now, sometimes recognition happens, and that's okay if it wasn't the motivation for your gift. But we should not go into giving with the motivation that we are going to get something out of it. Jesus says, if you do that, you have gotten your reward. He is concerned about our heart and our motivation. So when you give to the church or to those in need, check your heart. Am I giving for recognition or power or influence? Or am I giving to honor God, serve others, and genuinely help? And this could expand uh, from giving financially to the giving of our time. Am I helping at the school, the food bank, the senior center, the homeless shelter, the church in order to get some recognition or influence or my way? Or am I helping genuinely to serve, help, and share God's love with the world around me? What's my motivation? To bring me glory or to bring God glory? And that gets us to verse 3. Jesus says, gives us the proper way to give. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus here again, he's using humor and exaggeration to make a point. How can your left hand not know what your right hand is doing? Jesus is saying, when you give, you should not only hide it from others, but don't dwell on it yourself. First, Jesus says, we don't give for the applause of others. Now he says, we don't give out of motivation for self-satisfaction. We don't give so that we can sit back and just think, man, I am pretty great. Man, I am pretty generous. 
How blessed is God to have me on his team? Jesus says there should be no patting yourself on the back with your left hand while you're giving with the right. And so that kind of concludes our point on giving. What is my motivation for giving? Uh, is, it, is it to give thanks and share God's love or to draw attention to myself and self-satisfaction for myself? Again, this can be financially or this can be with our time and energy. Do I give to give thanks to God for his many blessings, for his faithfulness and to share his hope with the world around me? Or do I give to bring attention to me, my greatness, my heart, and my appearance of righteousness? Am I giving of my time or finances in a transactional way? Am I giving expecting a return on my investment from God or others? Am I giving to thank God or am I giving to make myself feel good or look good before others? Real quick practical statement as we wrap this section up. There are some people that take this statement and they refuse to give online or by check or in any manner that might be tracked by anyone. They give only in cash so that it cannot be seen. And while the heart of that might be good, it might be a conviction that God leads you to, I don't think that's quite where Jesus is going. Jesus here is saying it's all about the motivation of our heart. If we are giving in hopes that someone at the church might see our giving statement and, and celebrate us and admire us, then, then we might need to change how we give. But if we give online or with a checkbook because it's the most practical way to give and then we use that as a tax deduction as allowed by our government, then I think we are just fine. I think personally for our family, I do our giving online because it easily allows me to give systematically and it allows me to give God first when paid as opposed to what's left, what's left over. So it's all about our hearts. We don't need to make more pharisaical laws about it. All right, so Jesus says our motivation in giving matters, but then we see it also matters in our prayers as well. So we're in verse 5. Jesus, uh, again, begins with a negative example. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. So once again, Jesus is talking about prayer because it was assumed that his followers would pray. In the Jewish faith, there were three times a day that a good Jew would pray. They would pray at 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock noon, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And what the Pharisees, what the hypocrites would do is they would make sure that they just so happened to find themselves on the street corner or in a public place so that everyone would stop and pause and listen to them pray. So that everyone would see their righteousness and see their faith. And so they would pray not to converse and seek God, but they would pray so that others might see them. Jesus here says the hypocrites love to pray. That sounds like a good thing on the surface. We should all love to pray. But look at what they love to pray. They love to, be pray. they love to pray to be seen by men. They didn't love prayer because they loved God. No, they loved to pray in public so the public would recognize and celebrate them. And so that's our next point. What is my motivation for prayer? What is my motivation for prayer? Is it out of love for God or so that everyone sees and celebrates me? Verse 6, Jesus tells us how we pray and how we should live out our faith. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So like with giving, Jesus says, when you pray, do so in secret in order to pray and converse with God. Now is Jesus here banning all public prayer? I don't think so. The Bible is filled with examples of public prayer. But the motivation of public prayer, the direction of public prayer should be God and not others. So Jesus says, when you pray, go and pray, go and talk to God, and don't try and impress others. Prayer is the heart of the Christian life. Prayer is meant to be an expression of dependency on God, not pride in myself. 
For prayer to be prayer, it must be prayed with pure motives. Jesus says, go into your room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But today, there are some that even love to turn their private prayer or their private devotions and time with God into an opportunity to gain the applause of man. If you find a quiet room to pray or spend time with God and read your Bible, and then you go and post it on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or wherever, I think you have missed the point. All right, verse 7 and 8, where we see yet another warning from Jesus. He says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus here says, God's not concerned with flowery language or the length of your prayer. He's concerned about your heart. Barclay notes in his commentary that one common teaching of the Pharisees was this. Whenever the righteous make their prayer long, then their prayer will be heard. One famous Jewish prayer began like this. Blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted and honored, magnified and lauded be the name of the Holy One. That's unnecessary, Jesus says. There are many who maybe subconsciously believe that if they say the right words, if they butter up God just right, and they pray long enough, then God will give them the thing they desire. Prayer is transactional to them, and so is a lot of their service. They pray, they serve, they help out in order to get God or others to do what they want. They view God as a genie to be appeased as opposed to a heavenly father that already knows their needs and already loves them more than they can imagine. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Christian prayers are measured by weight and not by length. Most of the prevailing prayers have been as short as they were strong. So we don't pray to tell God things he didn't know before, he, before we told him. We pray to commune with and appeal to a loving God who wants to bring us every need and worry before his throne. Clark wrote in his commentary, Prayer is not designed to inform God, but to give man a sight of his misery, to humble his heart, to excite, to excite desire, to inflame his faith, and to animate his hope and to raise his soul from earth to heaven. Perhaps my favorite quote on prayer I read this week comes from Frederick Bruner. He writes, prayer is not an intelligence briefing for God, but it's an intelligent conversation with him. God knows what you need. He loves you and he cares for you. So we pray to commune, converse, and appeal to a loving God who wants us to bring our needs before him and promises to love and care for us as a loving father. So that's our next point. Why do I pray? Do I pray to manipulate God to my will or do I pray to bend my will to his? Are my prayers a committee hearing in which I inform God how he could do a better job and intervene in my life? Or are my prayers focused on him, his glory, his love, his goodness, and his will? We're going to spend the whole sermon next week walking through the model prayer that Jesus gives us in verses 9 through 15. So for today, we just want to ask the question yet again, what is my motive for prayer? Is it to get God to do my will or to bend my will to his? And once again, this could apply to all aspects of our faith. There are many that serve, that give, that show up on Sunday, that read their Bible, that check religious boxes in an attempt to earn points with God so that he might do their will. But when they do that, when we do that, we completely miss who God is and how he desires to relate with us as followers who he calls his children. God is a loving father that gives to us abundantly and freely all that we have. He has given to us freely the greatest gift imaginable, which is our salvation, our forgiveness of sins, and a future with him in heaven. We cannot manipulate him. We cannot earn brownie points with him. But instead, we pray, we serve, we give, we love in order to know him better, to know his ways, and to give thanks for all he has already done. 
All right, final example comes in verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, for many of us, we may not be as familiar with fasting as we are with giving or praying. But this was the third assumed practice within the Jewish faith. And it was the assumed practice of Jesus for his followers. And fasting is the giving up of something in order to focus our hearts and our minds on God. It's most often associated with food, but there are many different ways to fast in the Bible. And they all call us to sacrifice something in order to focus on God and his will. Some of the occasions for fasting we see in the Bible are times of confession of sin, special pleading with God, moments of crisis, important decisions coming, growing in self-control, or doing without in order to help the poor. These are all examples seen in the Bible. But yet again, with, like, with giving and with prayer, the Pharisees, as we do as humans, we, they had taken this good practice that allows them to honor God, and they had made it a time of self-promotion uh, for themselves. And once again, Jesus uses some humor to make his point. Jesus says that hypocrites look somber and they disfigure their faces when they fast. They look weak and fatigued. They, they kind of stagger around. They put ashes on their face so that when someone asks, are you okay? They can reply, oh, I am fine. I'm just fasting today. And then everyone around them goes, oh, ah, you are so amazing. But God says, paid in full, here is your receipt. The whole purpose of fasting is to humble yourself before God. And so it is completely wrong to fast from a motivation of pride in order to show other people how great you are for fasting. Remember when I was in middle school, it's a long time ago, I was in middle school, and one of the other youth groups in our town was teaching on fasting. And their whole youth group decided to fast together, which is, which is a great thing. But they showed up at school that day, and all of my friends who went to that youth group let everybody know they were fasting. Right at lunch, they made sure to have a giant bottle of water and let everyone know, I am only drinking water because I am fasting. They let everyone know at PE that they were feeling tired that day because they were fasting. I remember just thinking to myself, I, I, we got this. <laughs> like, you are amazing. And they had gotten their reward. But Jesus says, instead of drawing attention to yourself, he says, take a shower, do your hair, put some makeup on, and act like a normal person. Fasting is designed to draw you closer to God, not to earn the applause and recognition of others. Again, I think this example is relevant beyond just the area of fasting. When we fast, we sacrifice and we give up something important to us in order to honor God and focus attention on him. So that's our next point. What is my motivation for sacrificing for God? That can be fasting or it can be something else. Is it so that others might see God's holiness or so they might see my holiness? Jesus has shown us how to live as his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. And we, in our humanity and our sinfulness, have managed to turn those God-honoring things into self-glorifying things. And so Jesus asks us to consider, what is my motivation for worship? What is my motivation for following God? Do I follow God in hopes that he might do what I want him to do? In order that my friends might praise and celebrate me? In order that I'm, I might gain power or a title? In order, that I might, uh, th in order that my name might be lifted high? Or do I follow God out of gratitude and attempt to know him better, honor him, and share his hope with the world around me? Jesus asks us, what is the heart of my worship? Why do I serve? Why do I give? Why do I attend church? Why do I read my Bible? Why do I, why do I lead or why do I go to a Bible study? Is it for my glory 
or is it for God's glory? Do I do it for pats on the back, for the recognition, for the praise of man, for power and influence, or do I do those things to honor God, celebrate God, glorify and praise him? Do I serve God in order to point people to me, or do I serve him in order to point people to God? It almost seems like a contradiction, because if you remember back in verse 16 of chapter 5, Jesus in the same sermon, he said this. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then here Jesus says, give, pray, and fast in secret so that it will go unseen. What we see is the difference is the heart. It's the motivation. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was addressing your influence in the world. and He was saying that you must be different than the world in order to change it. He says, when you are different, people will see it and they will want to know your heavenly Father as well. He says, when you shine before others, Jesus says it will glorify God. It will glorify your Father in heaven. So the motivation of that service is to glorify God, to make him known and not yourself. And so once again, it all comes down to who gets the praise and recognition. Do you do good work so that everyone will see how great you are? Or do you do them so that they will see how great your God is? And you will show his love to them. Jesus says, if it's so that you will get the recognition that you have received your reward in full. Jesus says, take the receipt and go. But when you do your good works in secret, then your Father who sees what is done will reward you. So we're going to begin to wrap up, and Emily's going to come and play. And so as uh, she comes to play, I would just ask you to pause and reflect and consider what God is saying to you. And first of all here, if you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, I just want to tell you this message really isn't directed at you. Instead, the message for you is this, and that is the gospel. It's the good news of who Jesus is. And the good news of Jesus is that no matter your past, no matter your present, no matter your sin, no matter your failures, Jesus came and he gave his life for your sins, for you. So you could be forgiven, so you could experience a relationship with God, so that you could one day experience heaven with him. The good news of Jesus can really be summed up in, in one verse. Jesus in John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave his one and only son, that so whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He goes on in verse 17, he says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus, the offer for you, if you are not a follower, is that he came to save you. Jesus loves you no matter what your present looks like, no matter what your past looks like, and he gave his life uh, out of love for you. The Bible says if you will believe in him and make him Lord of your life, then you will be forgiven and you will inherit eternal life. And so if that's you, you can just kind of flush the last 30 minutes. And focus in on who Jesus is and his love for you. If you've never trusted Jesus with your life, then, then what is holding you back? Perhaps for the first time today, and maybe you would trust him with your life. On the other hand, if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, then where is your heart? What is your motivation for serving, for giving, for praying, for fasting, for coming to church, or for anything else? Is it an attempt to earn God's favor? Is it an attempt to earn praise for yourself? Is it an attempt to get God to do your will, or is it simply to honor and glorify him? And my prayer for myself and for all of us is that if, if there is an area where we have made it all about ourselves, my prayer is that God would reveal that. And I pray that as he reveals it, we would have uh, the courage to repent from that sin, to ask for forgiveness, to ask God to change our hearts, and then take steps to take the spotlight off of ourselves and honor him with our lives. So I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, Emily will play for just a couple minutes. We'll just reflect during that time, and I'll come back and play for us. God, we thank you for who you are. 
God, we thank you that you love us despite our sin. God, we thank you that while I, while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to come and die the death our sin deserved. And so, God, I pray, I pray more than anything during this time, Lord, that you would make that real for us. God, we sing about it, that, that when we focus our eyes on you and the blessings that we have, then, then our pride, uh, our power, the things of earth, they grow strangely dim. So, God, I pray that during this time we would make more of you. You help us just to truly appreciate the, the, the grandeur of who you are. To appreciate the sacrifice and the love that you have shown for us. God, I pray that as we see that, as we know that, that first, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, they might surrender and follow you for the first time. God, I pray that as you remind us of that, as, as we've been followers, maybe for a long time, as you make that afresh, as you remind us, Lord, that you would lift our eyes to you. Lift our eyes to you from the world. Lift our eyes to you from ourselves. God, and that we would truly serve and love and give of our lives out of thanks for you. That we would truly serve and give and love out of honor for you. God, I pray that you would lift our eyes from ourselves. Again, I pray that you would help us just to see the beauty of our salvation. God, I pray that you would speak clearly into our lives, that you would reveal those areas where we made it all about ourselves and not about you. That you would help us to know those actions. God, that we would repent and turn them over to you. God, we thank you that you are worthy of our praise, that you are worthy of our lives, that you are worthy of our sacrifice. God, I pray that we would leave here loving you more than we came in. So God, I pray you just speak to us in these next few moments. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.